I'd like to read in uh, Peter's epistle, the first epistle of Peter, in chapter 2 of the epistle, first epistle by Peter, uh, starting from verse 21. For to this have you been called, for Christ also has suffered for you, leaving you a model that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when reviled, reviled not again, when suffering threatened not, but gave himself over into the hands of him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, in order that, being dead to sins, we may live to righteousness, by whose stripes you have been healed. For you are going astray as sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Reference in the <coughs> book of Proverbs, it's on page 819, page 819, and which is uh, chapter 30, verse 29. There are three things which have a stately step, and four are comely in going. The lion, mighty among beasts, which turneth not away for any, a horse girt in the loins, or the he-goat, and a king against whom none can rise up. And then in Luke's, chap- Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, the end of the chapter, the Lord speaking in verse 45, Then he opened their understanding to understand the Scriptures, and said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved the Christ to suffer and to rise from among the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my, my Father upon you, but do ye remain in the city till ye be clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and having lifted up his hands, he blessed them. came to pass as he was blessing them, he was separated from them and was carried up into heaven. They, having done him homage, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. I want to speak tonight to you about the Lord Jesus. He is the subject and theme of the gospel, and a glorious and precious theme he is. I want to focus tonight on the steps of Jesus. The first uh, passage I read refers to the steps of Jesus. And uh, in thinking about it, I uh, took into account what uh, we know in the Gospels as to the movements of Jesus and how extensive they were. And uh, while we are being encouraged today to take steps to improve our health, the Lord's steps were always in view of fulfilling God's will and bringing, as we read in another passage of Scripture, carrying salvation to all men. That was the movements of Jesus, the steps that he took and the arduous journeys that he undertook as well were all directed from heaven and in view of fulfilling God's will and bringing blessing to his creature. I want to come back to the scripture in uh, 1 Peter, but I want to touch on the scripture I've read in the uh, Proverbs, because we have there the reference to stately steps, a stately step, and comely in going. And that was the Lord Jesus as he moved through here. There was a stately movement about him, and a comely movement about him. When John the Baptist saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He took account of Jesus as he walked. That dignified, stately, comely walk had affected John the Baptist, no doubt as a result of uh, the uh, Spirit's service to him to magnify Christ. 
And then it goes on to say about uh, the lion mighty among beasts and not turning away from any. That was the Lord Jesus when he was here. He didn't turn away from any. It says he gave his face to shame, to shame and spitting. He didn't turn away. We've read in uh, Peter, who went reviled, reviled not again, when suffering threatened not. <clears throat> he was reviled, but he didn't turn away. He moved straight forward. He could have been deflected, you might say, speaking reverently, when he was in the wilderness and tempted of the devil. But he didn't turn away. He's, he came to do God's will in its absoluteness. And blessed man that he did. He overcame the enemy and defeated him by quoting scripture. He might have said he could have been diverted when Peter said in relation to the Lord, saying that he was going up to Jerusalem to lay down his life. And Peter sought to deflect him from that. But he wasn't to be deflected. Lying mighty among beasts and he wasn't turning away from the pathway he was on. In devotion to his father's will, he continued in that pathway. Gethsemane, we see him there in the anguish of his soul, facing anticipatively what he was going to deal with on the cross. But he rose from that uh, pressure that he was under in Gethsemane after praying three times, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done. He went on from that point in view of completing what was given him to do. Blessed man that he is, turning not away from any. And we see in the next reference the, uh, the horse gut in the loins. The Lord was always circumstance. He always what he was. There was nothing loose about the Lord in his actions down here. He was always under control. I think that's what we have to understand. And then a king against whom none can rise up. Well, that will be seen publicly, millennially, when he comes out as king of kings and lord of lords. There will be absolute rule. Any evidence of lawlessness will be put down. It's not suggested there will be evidence of lawlessness, or at least not a great evidence of lawlessness. But if it does arise, it will be put down. A king against whom none can rise up. So that is uh, why I read this uh, passage. It's the idea of the dignity of Christ as he moved here, step by step, in the will of his Father. Well, you take account of uh, these movements, these steps. I think the widow of name would be glad that the steps of Jesus came into the <coughs> city of Nain to bring in relief to that uh, sorrowing widow uh, <coughs> following the beer. And uh, the Lord Jesus uh, touching the beer, and the bearer stopped and saying, youth, I arise, uh, youth arise, and he gave that youth back to his mother. What steps they were, arduous steps. I don't think we understand the terrain that the Lord was <clears throat> moving in. It's not like even around us today, surface footways. He was crossing uh, rough terrain. The, the hymn says, and we had reference to it in the reading about the beauty of the hymns. Lord, we love to trace thy footprints here amidst the desert sand. Ponder o'er thy path of suffering, wondrous heart and healing hand. See thy stoop to Bethlehem's manger. Hear thee still the raging wave. See thy love in all its fullness at the cross and in the grave. So we do trace those of us who love the Lord Jesus and I hope that everyone in this room is a lover of the Lord Jesus. If not, this is an opportunity to accept him as your own personal saviour. 
No one has ever regretted accepting Christ. You may regret many things in your life, but I tell you there's one thing you'll never regret, and that's opening your heart to receive Jesus, repenting of your sins, and trusting in the wonderful Savior who gave his life on Calvary's cross to save you. Well, there are other instances of the movements of Jesus. I just took the opportunity of looking at the full distance that he traveled. And I think the total distance would be 150 miles. And there's no reference to Jesus ever riding uh, on an animal apart from the fact that he went into Jerusalem, riding on a colt and uh, on a an ass and on the coat, the fall of an ass. That's the only reference I think there is in Scripture. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. He did cross the Sea of Galilee in a boat and got rest then. But otherwise, his journeys were all taken in foot in order to fulfill God's will because he came to do God's will and did it in absoluteness. And that will entailed that he, as having been commissioned for service and going into the waters of baptism coming out uh, the spirit (coughs) coming upon him he began his public ministry and from (coughs) the point of public ministry at Nazareth he had met the enemy in the wilderness he was driven into the wilderness no doubt that was walking into the wilderness his steps took him into the wilderness as driven by the spirit then he began his public service in Nazareth where he was brought up and he moved all that way, all, way, all the way around the Sea of Galilee. It says that at one point that he had to <coughs> go into all the cities and villages. <coughs> and he went into them, <coughs> teaching in the synagogues and preaching the glad tidings of the kingdom and healing all who were <coughs> suffering from sickness and disease. Think of the movements of Jesus. Think of these steps. Measured steps, deliberate steps, steps that came as a result of what he'd heard from his father. For his ear was open morning by morning to hear as he instructed. That was my saviour as he was here in service in the will of God, bringing the grace of God to poor, affected humanity as a result of the incoming of sin. What service he rendered. What burdens he bore. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He suffered because he was righteous as he moved through the scene. He did everything right because he had the direction from heaven and did not move away from the Father's will in relation to what he had given day by day. He was a man of faith, it says. He was the leader and completer of faith, so he moved by faith day by day, trusting on his Father to give the direction for the day and the word for the day, to know how, by a word, to succor him that was weary. Think of the woman in Luke 7, the way in which the Lord came into that particular circumstance. His feet brought him in there. And that woman took, speaking metaphorically, took steps to be in that position whereby she, recognizing that she needed the Savior, was found there and as a result of her 
deep exercise and deep desire and the knowledge of what she was, she <coughs> washed the Lord's feet with tears and wiped them with her hair and got that blessed word from the Saviour. <coughs> My many sins are forgiven thee. <coughs> she loved much and uh, it goes on to say, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Well, that woman recognized that the Saviour's feet had brought her where she could actually get down and wash his feet. And then we find that uh, as he continued his pathway here, his feet took him into Jericho and blind Bartimaeus heard that he was passing by. Lord, that I may see, son of David, I think he calls out, because he obviously was a Jew, have mercy on me. And as a consequence of uh, his call, and despite the ones who were there seeking to silence him, he wouldn't be silenced. And uh, he got the blessing by the Lord calling to him and asking him what uh, he could do for him. And uh, Lord, that I may see, and he saw and followed him in the way. So the steps of Jesus continued on steadfastly and steadily in view of completing uh, the Father's will. He could say, uh, ere he went went to the cross, uh, I have completed the work that was given me that I should do it. I have glorified thee on the earth. Well, you think of the steps of Jesus after Gethsemane when he was apprehended and never free again taken into the palace of the high priest <coughs> and there <coughs> having to uh, see, having to give an account of uh, the activities that uh, he'd been engaged in, although it was well known what he'd uh, been engaged in. And he answered the high priest not a word until he was adjured. <coughs> and then uh, taken from the high priest's palace and taken before Pilate. Think of the steps of Jesus as they continued on and to be before Pilate and the judgment that was handed down from Pilate despite knowing that he was a righteous man. His wife saying to have nothing to do with this righteous man. And so his steps went from Pilate's judgment hall where he was condemned to death out with the city wall to Golgotha, the place of a skull, carrying his own cross. Think of uh, what the Saviour had to bear in that sense, physically, <clears throat> because he'd been scourged <clears throat> and the crown of thorns and the purple robe placed upon him. And going out of <clears throat> the, uh, the city of Jerusalem, that guilty city where he was condemned to death, going out to the cross <clears throat> and then uh, at the cross being nailed to the cross and lifted up to die. Lifted up to him, lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Hallelujah. What a saviour. He was prepared to go that way, go that journey in order to fulfill God's will and secure a basis in righteousness for blessing to flow to you and to me. Every attribute of God was held in perfect balance. While he was here, there was side of grace and truth, that mercy and judgment, everything was balanced in the life of Jesus. Everything is balanced in all that God does. His nature is love without a law, but he can't act in <coughs> setting the 
guilty sinner free unless there's a righteous basis. And that righteous basis was established by Christ's work on the cross where he <coughs> atoned for sins. <coughs> My sins, your sins, if you have put your trust in him. For the glad tidings is to ours all, but is only upon all those who believe. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus? This is your opportunity to be a believer in the Lord Jesus. This is the accepted time. This is a day of salvation. You couldn't be in a better environment to give your heart to Christ, to open your heart and receive the Savior. What a blessing it, it is. In the world, at one time, at least, they spoke of a red-letter day. There is a red-letter day when you leave, allow Christ to come into your life and fill it <coughs> And instead of a vacuum, instead of <clears throat> the uh, dismay and despair that there is in the world, you have a peace and joy through believing. <clears throat> he can fill that heart of yours as no other can fill it. <clears throat> well, you think of his work on the cross. Think of uh, the ignominy and shame that was heaped upon him as uh, those that passed by. He saved others. Himself he cannot, uh, could not save. Him gives us the answer. Himself he could not save. Love stream too deeply flowed. <clears throat> it was in love for his God and Father. In love for you and me. Guilty hell deserving sinners that Jesus <clears throat> was on that cross at Calvary. <clears throat> These three hours of darkness uh, are to affect us as we consider the one who knew not sin. Being made sin for us that we might become God's righteousness in him. He established a basis in righteousness in his work on the cross so that you and I can be found in the presence of God, a holy God who can't start looking sin, but we can look on the sinner who believes in Jesus because that sinner is enclosed in the worth of his well-beloved Son. All the sins that I've committed, all the sins that you've committed, if you trust in him, have been dealt with and dealt with righteously by Christ's work on the cross. <clears throat> in these uh, three hours of darkness when uh, God hid his face from his well-beloved Son. Thou didst measure then since distance, darkness, wrath, and curse were thine. Man betrayed by God forsaken. Thus we learn thy love divine. Think of the awfulness of the cross and how it uh, is to... <clears throat> really deepen in our affections what Jesus was prepared to undergo in fulfilling God's will to lay a basis in righteousness. And not only did he lay down his life, no one took his life from me. He had authority to lay it down, authority to take it again, but he laid down his life sacrificially and then he shed his precious blood. Soldier piercing his side, being the instrument of it, but out with it flowed blood and water flowing from a dead Christ. The blood was necessary if we were to be cleansed judicially in the sight of God. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. God couldn't forgive you your sins apart from the shed blood of Jesus. <clears throat> but it was shed on the cross and there was a witness to the shedding of the blood of Jesus. John, the apostle, was there and he saw the blood in the water flowing from the side of Christ and his witness is a reliable witness and I know that the blood uh, was shed at the cross and it was shed for me. Shed for rebels, shed for sinners and I can say thank God it was shed for me and I've been redeemed to God. Not by corruptible things as Peter said, 
silver or gold, but by precious blood. Blood of a lamb without blemish and without spot, the blood of Christ. His own precious blood has redeemed me so that I'm free in the presence of God because I know that my sins have been put away by God as far as the east is from the west. It's an interesting statement. I, your sins and your iniquities, I will never remember any more forever. It's not that God couldn't remember them, but he deliberately says, as he, I've quoted in that scripture, that he will not remember these sins because he never requires judgment twice. It's been dealt with and dealt with effectively and completely by what Christ accomplished on the cross. And so I know as a result of his work that I'm entirely set free to enjoy the blessedness of all that flows from the heart of God, which is a heart of love and delights in dispensing blessing. And so, not only did he die, not only was his blood shed, but he went into the grave. He lay three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I think of the one who came from these highest heights of glory, emptying himself to come into this scene. He found in bondman's form, becoming obedient even unto death, and not the death of the cross, laying down his life, <coughs> lying in the, de- in, the, in the grave. Think of uh, the uh, amazing fact that the one who in himself was God and who died on the cross as a man was actually there, subject to death. It says in uh, Romans, the uh, death has dominion over him no more. But death had dominion over my Saviour. The author of life was lying numbered in the dead, in death. But, blessed be God's name, that on that third day, the Father was there, <clears throat> on that resurrection morn, and raised him by his glory, a proof that everything had been done to his entire satisfaction was the resurrection of Jesus. And he was raised for my justification. Wonderful fact that I'm justified freely by his grace, but I've been justified by the resurrection of Jesus so that I am completely set free in the divine presence. Not justified for this world. I can prove to a man in the world that I'm justified, but I know I'm justified freely by his grace because it says so in Scripture. And I have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's a proof that I've been justified, is that the gift of the Spirit is given to those who have put their trust in Jesus and whose precious blood has cleansed them from their sins and then the gift of the Spirit is available to be received. Wonderful truth that is. Well, I've sought to set out the steps of Jesus and Peter in his epistle is saying he's left as a model that we should follow in his steps. I suppose when when Peter was called as the Lord went round the Sea of Galilee and saw Simon as he was there and Andrew and said, follow me. <clears throat> From that moment on, Peter was a follower of Jesus. Yes, he failed, and we've got the record of his failures, but he truly loved the Savior. And he was <clears throat> clearly <clears throat> subject to the Lord's <clears throat> consideration in John 21 when he uh, tested Peter as to the depth of his love. And uh, 
Peter answered in the way he did, and I don't go into it, but he was preparing him for the way in which he was going to serve. And uh, I was serving the Lord as he did in the beginning of the Acts. And I was an old man writing these <clears throat> two epistles in view of supporting and strengthening the believers in the Lord Jesus at that time who were scattered. He's saying, look, you're going through suffering, but think of the suffering of Jesus. If you're going through suffering, think what he went through. That's what it says here. For this you've been called. Many of the Christians in this world are called to suffering. We are thankful that so far we've not been called for suffering. But the model is there. For Christ also has suffered for you. He suffered for me. Let's make it personal. The gospel is personal. Jesus suffered for me on Calvary's cross. And now he's left me a model that I should follow in his steps. And he has, you did no sin. That's Peter's estimation of Jesus and how well he knew his Savior as being with him in different circumstances. He's one of the three that was taken into different situations on the Mount of Transfiguration, in Gethsemane, and so on. So Peter had as great and full and deep a knowledge of the steps of Jesus as anyone. And he's saying he's left us a model that we should follow in his steps who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. There was no uh, two sides to Jesus. Everything was straightforward. Uh, Everything was direct. He never had to retract a word. Every word was clearly uh, from God the Father, communicated to him and conveyed absolutely. Uh, Indeed, it's been rightly said that the scriptures are inspired but the words of Jesus that we have in Scripture are divine. And they carry that divine authority and uh, so that uh, it should penetrate our souls and affect us that these divine words that we have in the record is in our, these, this glorious book that we have. And then it goes on, but gave himself over into the hands of him who judges righteously. That's God himself. And then he says, who himself bore our sins. You might say, it would have been sufficient in English to say, who bore our sins, but it's put himself. He did it himself. In his love for God, and his love for you and me, he bore your sins, if you're trusting in him. And that is an immense fact. You couldn't dispense with your sins. You couldn't deal with your sins. But Jesus has dealt with your sins. No need now to labor. The work has been done to be in God's favor. Believe in the Son. What could you do that the Lord has not done? What could you give for your sins to atone? Think you that God would have spared not his Son if by a creature the work could be done? It could be done by no other but by the Lord Jesus bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. He felt them. He made them his own. The fire of God's wrath fell on Jesus. Let us not underestimate in any way what it meant for Jesus. Gethsemane is really the evidence of what it meant to Jesus as he sought, speaking reverently, he shrank, is probably the better word, from going forward, knowing full well the awfulness of what he was going to have to face at Calvary. But he went that way. He was a lion, mighty among beasts, not turning aside for any. His steps took him there. And it goes on. 
that being dead to sin, we may live to righteousness, by whose stripes we have been healed. A reference, no doubt, to Isaiah 53. We are going astray as sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's, you've returned to Jesus. Well, I wanted to just uh, touch on Luke 24, because his steps are to be found there, even in, uh, as a man in resurrection, a real man, out of death. <clears throat> Wonderful fact. This is denied. But if Christ be not raised, you're still in your sins, Paul says, and uh, to the Corinthian saints. They clearly weren't uh, uh, in the full assurance of the resurrection of Jesus. So he has to turn aside in 1 Corinthians 15 to speak about the resurrection of Jesus. But here we have in the divine record in Luke's gospel the fact that these uh, disciples were in Jerusalem. And the two that had been disconsolate and dismayed had been met by Jesus walking with them. Glorious fact that a man in resurrection, a glorious man who accomplished the work, was there alongside them and uh, went into their house. And uh, as it says, uh, uh, he entered in to stay with them and came to pass as he was at table with them, having taken the bread he blessed and having broken it gave them. Their eyes were opened. They recognized who it was that had been in their presence. And they go back to Jerusalem and find uh, the eleven there, and, and the statement is, The Lord is indeed risen and has appeared to Simon. And as they were saying these things, verse 36, he himself stood in their midst. He came into the midst of this company and stood there, glorious man in resurrection. Well, I don't go into that, but it says, Then he opened their understanding. Think of uh, the Lord in resurrection, teaching his own as they were gathered that time. And referring to the Old Testament scriptures, the prophetic scriptures. All the prophetic scriptures bearing on Christ had been fulfilled up to this point. And now he's opening the scriptures to these uh, beloved saints and said, Thus it is written, Thus it behoved the Christ to suffer and to rise from among the dead the third day. See that uh, <clears throat> he's testifying to the fact that uh, this is the situation that they are now uh, taking account of as he's uh, amongst them. And then he's giving them a commission and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Well, it began in one sense in a small way. That guilty city was uh, the divine uh, favor was still to be upon it because despite what it had done to Christ, the glad tidings were to begin there, and they began there in power. As Peter stood up with eleven, a man energized by the Spirit, and able to convey in a powerful way just the circumstances that had arisen, and as a result of his testimony, they were pricked in their conscience as a consequence of him bringing a direct word to bear upon them. Well, it has spread out from there because it says elsewhere, and it's a quotation from Isaiah, but it's quoted in Acts, that God has set Christ as his salvation to the ends of the earth. And the gospel is going out universally, starting at Jerusalem, but going out universally to all nations. At one point, we saw that the testimony was moving into Europe and uh, how thankful we are that it did move into Europe, uh, brought into Europe by 
the Apostle Paul, but it has gone out now and is going out in a universal way. And it's the same message. Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But do you remain in the city until you be clothed with power from on high? Well, these disciples did remain in the city, and they were clothed with power from on high. Christ's promise was fulfilled. The Spirit coming from him as ascended, given of the Father, and poured out by Christ, and the power that was resident in the early church, and the witness it gave to the fact that... uh, they took account of them that they'd been with Jesus and that uh, they uh, uh, saw uh, for themselves the evidence of the Spirit service and so far as they heard them in their own dialect. What a wonderful uh, demonstration of the Spirit being present in these early disciples, these apostles in Jerusalem at that time. God was giving witness to the fact that those that had company with Jesus were vindicated by the Spirit being received by them and the testimony going out. And so it then goes on to say, he led them out. Here's the steps of Jesus going out now, finally for the last time. Uh, he's going out as far as Bethany, a place that he loved to resort to, a place where he was made welcome. And uh, it is from that place. Now, this is 40 days after he rose from the dead. We cannot look at it in chronological order because it would appear there may be quite a period between them being led out to Bethany. I can't say that, but I certainly know that this was after 40 days, and 40 days after he rose from the dead. And it came to pass as he was blessing them, going up blessing, and he was carried up into heaven. Think of the way in which it says whom heaven must receive <clears throat> if you see the Son of Man ascending up where he was before. This is him going up to where he was before. But he's going up as a man. He's not going up as uh, a spirit. Spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me having. He's a real man in heaven with all the affections of a man all ready to come and fill your heart despite the fact that he's not here uh, corporeally, he's just as ready to come in as he was to fill the heart of uh, Zacchaeus, uh, fill the heart of blind Bartimaeus, fill the heart of that woman, fill the heart of Mary of Bethany and so on. Uh, that uh, uh, is uh, the position of the Lord today. And so it says... They, having done him homage, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. You might have said, the one that we love has just gone up into glory. But no, they were so energized by what they had heard from Christ that it kept them going these ten days until the Spirit came. And then they had that power from on high. Well... Dear hearers tonight, I wonder where uh, you stand in relation to this glorious person. Is he your personal saviour? Do you know your sins forgiven? The hymn says to know your sins are all forgiven is something more than gold. <clears throat> and uh, so it is <clears throat> to know that there is no charge against you. Everything has been met, met fully by Jesus. And that glorious person who's gone on high, and the beginning of that is going to come again in like manner in the way you've seen him going. We're looking for him to come again. 
It may be tonight. Circumstances around are pointing to the coming of Jesus. And so, if you're not here as a saved person, if you're not repented towards God and faith in in the Lord Jesus Christ, for that was what Paul preached everywhere. He says that in Acts. Repentance towards God is against God you sin, a holy and righteous God. And we were reminded in the reading, whether you're a five, 50 pence debtor or a 500 pence debtor, you still need to repent of your sins and have faith in the one who died on the cross to deal with the matter of sins and sin and shed his blood to redeem you to God. Well, may your trust be in him and may you be looking for him. To those that look for him, he will appear the second time without sin to salvation. Oh, what a day it will be when we actually see the Saviour. We have not seen him, we see through a dim window obscurely, but then face to face. Him says, face to face with Christ my Saviour. Face to face, what will it be? We'll see him in all his radiant glory. Are you looking forward to that? Is that the expectation of your heart? Oh, how it lifts you up to know that the one who has borne your sins in his own body in the tree is actually coming for you. He's not sending an angel. He's going to come with a assembling shout, archangel's voice, trump of God. Dead in Christ, rising first. We the living who remain, <clears throat> all caught up together to meet the Lord in there. What a host will go up in the twinkling of an eye. Will you be there? Will you be in that company? <clears throat> I was speaking about the Titanic and a blood brother and <clears throat> Claire Gowrie used to speak about uh, the terrible event of the Titanic and the way in which it was reported back to Liverpool. And on one side of the door of the white star line was put up the names of those that are lost. On the other side, the names of those that are saved. Well, tonight, are you on the side of those that are saved, or are you on the side still of those that are lost? May you be converted tonight and be named amongst those that are saved. For his name's sake. <laughs>